Amen. Uh, can everyone hear me okay? Amen. Amen. It's okay? Amen. Amen. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm asking that because I'm still low tech, not high tech. So I want to make sure everyone can hear me. All right, saints, I feel that this is a very special meeting, and it's a great privilege uh, for me to be with you all again. And um, you can see that the title of this message is The Intrinsic Significance, Subjective Experience, and Organic Maintenance of the Golden Lampstand for a New Revival. And, and saints, I, 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 we co-workers are very, very burdened, I would say at present, that we would always have uh, the new revival before us. That's how our bro- brother essentially ended his ministry with us and, and his time with us here um, on this earth. So these three aspects of the new revival we always have to have before us. Of course, these three aspects are, and they, they, uh, you know, Brother Abraham was sharing, and it's absolutely right, that these three aspects are not separate. They are organically one. And so they're united. But the first aspect is that we all want to arrive at the highest peak of the divine revelation. And since this is a daily thing, we need our we need our vision renewed and even enlarged day by day. And then we want to enter into the God man living, into living the life of a God man. Actually Ephesians 4, 20 through 21 calls this living the reality that is in Jesus. The reality that is in Jesus is is actually uh, the the human living of Jesus that we see in the Gospels. He wants that living reproduced in all the members of his body. So that's the second aspect. Now the third aspect of the new revival is that we would enter into Christ's wonderful shepherding in his heavenly ministry. You know, it's it's really marvelous, saints, that the Lord, uh, of course, we know in the Gospels, he presented himself as the good shepherd. But we also need to see, and especially in this message, we'll see in his heavenly ministry, he is still shepherding us. And saints, according to Revelation 7, 17, he will shepherd us for eternity, forever and ever and ever, he will be shepherding us. And, and Revelation 7, 17 says, The Lamb in the midst of the throne will shepherd us and guide us to springs of waters of life. So that verse has always been very impressive to me because we our natural concept would be uh, the big sheep, the, the biggest sheep among the shepherd, he will shepherd us. But it doesn't say that. It says the lamb will shepherd us. The lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd us. 
a little a little lamb. That means Christ as a lamb of God, he can come down to everyone's level to meet everyone's need, uh, no matter where we are. And, and this is a wonderful thing. Of course, these three aspects are for a new revival. And when we speak about a new revival, we're not talking about a revival that uh, many of our Christian brothers and sisters uh, talk about revivals. We're talking about a new revival. And when we use the term a new revival, we're talking about a revival that will end this age and turn this age from the age of grace and the age of the church into the age of the kingdom of a thousand years, which will be our wedding day. That will be our wedding day. Like Peter says, a a thousand days in the Lord's sight is like one day, and one day is like a thousand years. So praise the Lord. We are here in the Lord's recovery to be prepared to be his bride so that we can be there on our wedding day. You know, all of us who are husbands, we can never forget our wedding day. That was a special day. If you're single, you know, just pray about pray about, you know, marriage and everything. But I'm just referring as an example to the married brothers. Uh, our wedding day was very, very special. And how much more? Our wedding day with the Lord will be special for a thousand years. We will enjoy him, feast with him, and reign with him as his co-king. Now, saints, I hope that all of you uh, received this diagram of the lampstand from the life study of Exodus. This is a marvelous uh, uh, reproduction of the lampstand. And uh, and saints, let me show you something that I have. I got this from the brothers in Korea. Look at this. You see that? That's an exact reproduction of the diagram that you have. So the brothers in Korea made this, and uh, it's an exact reproduction. You can see by looking at it, that the lampstand is actually a living golden tree, a living golden tree. And we'll see this tree is in resurrection. And this this, this living golden uh, budding and blossoming tree of almonds. Actually, it's an almond tree, which means it's a tree in resurrection. This should be our subjective experience and our reality. Now, saints, before we get into the outline, I would just like to mention uh, just a few items. And that's this, that um, when you look at the lampstands, plural, in Revelation 1, a 10 and 11, we have to realize this is, this is the first sign in the book of Revelation. A sign is a symbol with spiritual significance. So that's the first sign. Now, the last sign in the book of Revelation 
is the New Jerusalem. Uh, the New Jerusalem is the last sign. And the New Jerusalem, actually, we can say, is the consummation of all the lampstands in the Bible. It is the consummate lampstand. You have the throne of God and of the Lamb in Revelation 22.1. Well, what we see in Revelation 21.23 is that the Lamb is the lamp, L-A-M-P. The Lamb, L-A-M-B, is the lamp, L-A-M-P. And God is within the Lamb as the lamp. God is the light within the Lamb as the lamp. And the New Jerusalem is a golden mountain that signifies the stand of the lampstand. So you have the light, which is God, which is embodied in Christ as the lamp, and which is on the golden mountain as the stand. So the New Jerusalem is the consummate lampstand. Now, uh, saints, I... You know, I will just uh, declare these statements to you that our brother made uh, concerning what this lampstand shows. Actually, if you would like to look at some messages on the lampstand that are excellent, you can look in the book Life Messages, Life Messages. Just look in the, uh, in the table of contents and you can find the chapters there on the lampstand. He shared those messages in Tokyo. And, and brothers and sisters, uh, you can read things in there concerning the lampstand that you can't find anywhere else. You can't find it in the life study of Exodus or the life study of Revelation. So I would encourage you to keep that in mind and, and hopefully you can read those messages in a prayerful way. Well, what the lampstand shows us uh, in a in a very intrinsic way is I would I would say four sentences. It shows us these four sentences, and we'll then as we get into the outline, we'll see this. The first sentence is this: God is our life. Now, wonderful. God is our life. The first point. Second point, we are the living of God. We are the living of God. The third point, God lives within us. God lives within us. And the fourth point is for us to live is God. For us to live is God. So I I just want to uh, mention those four sentences. God is our life. We are the living of God. God lives within us, and for us to live is God. This is what the lampstand shows us. Now, uh, saints, and there might be a, a lot of newer ones with us. You know, in Ephesians 4, 4, this verse says one body and one spirit. But when you look at the lampstand, uh, it says in Revelation 4, 5, that these these uh, seven lamps here, one in the middle, three on each side, they are the seven lamps of fire. 
burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. But you may ask, how can that, how can it be the seven spirits of God when Ephesians 4, 4 says one spirit? Well, here's, here's the point. If you look at the lampstand from the bottom, it's only one lampstand, right? So essentially for its existence, the lampstand is one, just like we have one spirit. But when the spirit functions to carry out God's economical move, it becomes seven lamps, a sevenfold intensified spirit. And this is the age that we're living in, the age that we're living in. All right, now uh, let's come to the outline and um, let's come to Roman numeral one. This says, in order to enter into a revival, I like the other, we need to see the super eminent Christ according to the highest peak of the divine revelation. We also need to know the all-inclusive Christ for a God-man living. This is why Paul uh, said in, in uh, Philippians 3.10, he said these three words, to know him. To know him. Paul had been a Christian for many years when he wrote those three words. That shows that his Christian life was, was actually a quest to know Christ. He wanted to know Christ. And we need to be the same way. Now, also, this says uh, to enter into a new revival, we need to minister the unsearchably rich Christ to others and shepherding them for the building up of the body of Christ to consummate the city of God, the wife of the Lamb. So here we have the highest peak of the divine revelation. We have the God-man living, and we have shepherding, which is according to God. If, if we need to enter into these three aspects in, a, in, a, in the way of reality, I like John 16, 13, which says that the spirit of reality will guide us into all the reality. You know, based on that verse, saints, I pray this a lot. I say, Lord, as the spirit of reality, guide me into the reality of, you know, what I've heard, what I've read as a ministry. But especially we need to pray, Lord, as a spirit of reality, guide me into the reality of the new revival in these three aspects. The Lord will answer in prayer like this. All right, now let's come to Roman numeral two. Roman numeral two says, we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand the intrinsic significance of the golden lampstand which is the highest peak of the divine revelation. And this lampstand was designed by God himself and portrays the goal of his eternal economy. Now, saints, I just want you to consider who would design, who would design a lamp like this? If someone asks you, uh, uh, Brother Ed, please, 
design a lamp for my home, would I would I even have a, a notion to come up with a lamp like this? You know, God Himself gave this design to Moses. To Moses, and so this was designed by God Himself. This is not a small thing. Anything that God designs is absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. It was designed by God himself. This portrays the goal of his eternal economy. The goal of his eternal economy. You know, Moses saw this design. And then when he came down from the mountain, he shared this design, the specifications of of this design, with certain brothers who had the function to to uh, to make this lampstand according to the design that Moses received from God. So uh, it's quite a great, great thing. Now let's look at a under here, and we'll talk about we'll talk about the intrinsic significance of the golden lampstand, which is the highest peak of the, of the divine revelation. We want to share on that first. Saints, I want you to be impressed. It is quite amazing. I don't have the words. I I use the words amazing, awesome, stupendous. I can't come up with a with a with adjective to describe this, but it, it is absolutely amazing that you can see the three aspects of the new revival in the golden lampstand. Now A says the golden lampstand signifies the triune God. Why does it signify the triune God? Well, one says the pure gold substance signifies God the Father in his divine nature. Then two says the form of the lampstand signifies God the Son as the embodiment of God the Father. You know, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says concerning Christ that he is the image of God. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. And uh, Colossians 2.9 says that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So this, the form of this lampstand signifies Christ, the Son, as the embodiment of God the Father. All right, now we come to uh, three. It says the lamps signify God the Spirit as the seven spirits of God for the expression of the Father in the Son. And, of course, this comes from the design in Exodus 25, the reality in Revelation 4 5 is that, again, these seven lamps of fire are burning before the throne. It's very significant. Burning before the throne. Um, and they're burning before the throne. And these seven lamps of fire burning before the throne are the seven spirits of God. And it says that they are sent forth, the seven spirits of God are sent forth 
into all the earth, are sent forth into all the earth. Now, again, these seven spirits of God uh, signify God the Spirit for the expression of the Father and the Son. They are sent forth into all the earth, and listen to this, to execute God's eternal policy. God's eternal policy, policy from the throne. Saints, no matter how bad we may feel the situation is in the world, we need to see that God is on the throne. God is on the throne. And uh, he's in control of everything. And uh, the day of his coming is soon approaching. We know that by the prophecies in the scriptures. All right, now let's come to B. B says, the golden lamp stands. Now, uh, you have three places in the scriptures that talk about the lampstand. Exodus 25, Zechariah 4, and Revelation 1. In Exodus 25, uh, this is on down further, but in Exodus 25, the emphasis, the emphasis is on Christ as the embodiment of the triune God. In Zechariah 4, uh, the emphasis is on uh, God the Spirit as the ultimate expression of the triune God. Uh, of course, you have the form of the lampstand, which is God the Son uh, as the embodiment of the triune God. So you have you have Christ in Exodus 25. You have the Spirit in uh, Zechariah 4. And then when you come to Revelation 1, uh, can you imagine how shocked the Apostle John 1, the Apostle John was, was when he saw seven lampstands. He knew there was one lampstand in Exodus 25, and that there was one lampstand in in uh, Zechariah 4, but in Revelation 1, he saw seven lampstands. What does that signify? Okay, we'll see this uh, in just a bit. So one says the lampstand in Exodus 25 signifies Christ as the embodiment of God. Two says the lampstand in Zechariah 4 signifies the sevenfold intensified life-giving spirit as the reality of Christ, the reality of Christ. Now, when we come to three, three says the lamb stands in Revelation 1 are the reprint, the reproduction of this spirit Christ, of this spirit hyphen Christ, the reproduction and the reprint of this spirit, Christ. And we'll see in a little bit, as you know, in Zechariah 4, God declares to Zechariah, he says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says, says the Lord. In other words, everything related to the building up of the church and the body of Christ and the realization of the lampstand which is the reality of the triune God, uh, everything has to do with the Spirit. 
It's not by our might. It's not by our power, but it's by his spirit. And his spirit is in our spirit, is mingled with our spirit to be one mingled spirit. So throughout the Bible, of course, we can see, you know, like, for instance, Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled in spirit. Galatians 5.16 and 25 says we need to live by the spirit, walk by the spirit. Philippians 3.3 says we should serve by the spirit. Romans 8.4 says we should walk according to the spirit. John 4.24 says that we should worship in spirit. Romans 1.9 says that we should serve God in our spirit. Second Corinthians 3, 6 says that we should minister the spirit. John 6, 63 says that as, as the ones who live out Christ, we should speak words that are spirit and are life. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, this points out that all of our functioning in the church should be the manifestation of the Spirit. I'll just mention one, one other verses. is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Saints, just, just by sharing with you these few verses, you can see that everything in God's New Testament economy is realized and accomplished by the sevenfold intensified life-giving spirit in our spirit. So this is a great, great thing that we need to realize. Now let's come to Roman numeral three. Uh, Roman numeral three says this. It says we need to subjectively experience the detailed aspects of the golden lampstand which is the God-man living, so that we can become the reproduction of the lampstand, the expression of the triune God. Now, the highest peak of the divine revelation is that we become the reproduction of Christ. And when you see those seven golden lampstands, what you're looking at is the multiplied embodiment of the triune God. What you're looking at is the Xerox copies of the spirit, of the spirit. That is God's heart's desire. That is the highest peak of the divine revelation. Well, now we need to enter into the subjective experience of that highest peak of the divine revelation. And we can see this with all the detailed aspects of the golden lampstand. And they all signify the God-man living, the God-man living. All right, let's, let's look at this, and I'll read this to you. A says, the lampstand is of pure gold, signifying the eternal, incorruptible, divine nature of God. You know, gold does not rust, R-U-S-T. There's no rust with gold. It doesn't become rusty. You know, thank the Lord. Lord. You know, if we live in our old man, our natural man, our natural man gets rusty. It gets old. 
But there is pure gold in our spirit. There is a person in our spirit who never gets rusty. He's incorruptible. He's always fresh. He's always new. And he's always living. So uh, one says we need to pay the price to gain more gold. That means to gain more of God in his divine nature. Saints, we saw in this recent crystallization study of Job that no matter what kind of trials we're passing through, sufferings we're passing through, circumstances, environments, persons, uh, in the midst of all those things, we need to ask the Lord for his mercy that we would gain more of God in all that we pass through. And we need to pray, Lord, I pray that I would gain more of you in this situation and that you would gain more of me in this situation. So this is to pay the price to gain more gold, which is God in his divine nature. Second Peter 1, 4 tells us that we are partakers of his divine nature. Saints, when we use the word partaker, What that means is this. It means to partake of for enjoyment. To partake of for enjoyment. So we are partaking of God for our enjoyment of God. Now, um, you know, if we're going to partake of God for our enjoyment of God, again, we need to be those who contact God, who is the spirit in our spirit. Saints, the reason why we came to this meeting, let me preface it this way. Uh, one time, Brother Lee asked a question to the, to the brothers who were sitting on the front row in front of him. And he said, brothers, why did you come to this meeting? And he asked them one by one. Of course, uh, Lots of times when Brother Lee asked you a question, it was a lose-lose situation. Not a not a win-win situation or win-lose. It was a lose-lose situation. I've been in those situations with Brother Lee many times because he, of course, had so much revelation, and he was looking for a particular answer. Well, um... To be a partaker, I'm sorry, to come to the meeting, finally all the brothers, uh, they didn't share the right thing. And finally, brother, he said, I'll answer the question for you. You came to this meeting to contact God in your spirit. It's that simple. Saints, if we don't contact God in our spirit in this meeting, this meeting is in vain. I don't believe this meeting is going to be in vain for any of us. I believe every one of us in this meeting this morning is contacting God in their spirit, contacting God in their spirit. Now, to partake of the divine nature, we may wonder, I don't know if you've ever considered, what if someone asked you, what is the divine nature? What does that mean? the divine nature. Well, you can just tell them in a very simple way that 
just like uh, if you have a wooden table, the nature of that table, okay, the nature of that table is wood. It, it refers to what the table is. So, the divine nature of God refers to what God is, what God is. Now, there are three passages in the scriptures that tell us what God is. John 4.24 says God is spirit. 1 John 4.8 and verse 16 says God is love. 1 John 1.5 says God is light. Now, let's come back to John 4.24. God is spirit. That means the nature of God's person is spirit. God is love means that the nature of God's essence is love. God is light means that the nature of God's expression is light. So we need to enjoy every day God as spirit, as love, and as light, so that we can be persons who are constituted and filled with him as as love, I'm sorry, as spirit, as love, and as light. And, and of course, this is very important when we come to our next point about shepherding. Now, let's come to two under this. Two says mixture in our Christian life brings in darkness. But when our Christian life is purified through the divine nature, we have light. Saints, we need to pray, and and I would emphasize this. Saints, learn to pray short prayers. Pray short prayers over these points. You can pray to the Lord in your personal time. You can say, Lord, purify me from any mixture. Uh, grant me the blessing of having a pure heart so that I can truly see God. That's Matthew 5, 8. You know, in Deuteronomy 22, 9, which I have listed here, uh, it says you shouldn't sow your vineyard with two kinds of seeds, lest the full produce of your, of your vineyard be forfeited. In other words, it amounts to nothing. Why? Because you sowed your vineyard with two kinds of seed, which is a mixture. Uh, saints, we only sow one kind of seed in the churches and in the Lord's recovery. And that seed is the healthy teaching of God's eternal economy with the goal of God's eternal economy, which you can see with the lampstand. Now let's come to B. B says the lampstand is a beaten work signifying sufferings. The lampstand is a beaten work signifying sufferings. Now can you imagine this, saints, that uh, this lampstand that I showed you this lampstand that I showed was 
uh, close to 100 pounds of pure gold. It was one town of gold that includes the utensils of the lampstand. So it wasn't exactly 100 pounds of pure gold, but it was close to that. Now, these, I, I use the term artificers, A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-R-S. They followed the pattern that the architect gave them, and they they hammered that gold, that one piece of gold, into this. That takes a lot of skill. So this lampstand is a beaten work signifying sufferings. Now, saints, we need to realize that in our daily living, which we want to be those who live Christ, who live out Christ. Christ is God. We want to live God. We want God to be manifested uh, in our lives. Well, if we are going to do that, we need to realize that we are going to pass through sufferings. And we need to have that realization. No one can escape suffering. Everyone in the world passes through sufferings. Even, of course, the unbelievers pass through sufferings. And we want to, we want them all to get saved. But saints, now that we're believers in Christ, now that we're Christians, now that we're in the Lord's recovery, we do not want any of our sufferings to be in vain. If, if, if we're, if, you know, let's say, the churches are passing through some kind of turmoil, which in our history, we've had this. If you pass through a turmoil and you remain the same, you remain the same after that whole thing, uh, that's a tragedy because the whole point of that was so that you would gain more of the triune God in your being. And how does that happen? Now, Let's look at one under this. To be beaten is to participate in Christ's sufferings for the the producing and building up of the body of Christ. Now, in Colossians 1.24, Paul mentions this. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf and fill up on my part that which is lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body, which is the church. Well, when you look at this verse and you look at other verses, you realize that Christ suffered for the accomplishing of our redemption. He suffered in his human living. He suffered on the cross, of course. That was for the accomplishing of our redemption, especially his sufferings on the cross. We can participate in the sufferings that he went through to carry out our judicial redemption. But we can participate in the sufferings of Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. According to Philippians 3.10, Paul says he wanted to know not just Christ, but the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. When we enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, those sufferings are for the producing and building up of the church. 
Now, I have Acts 16, 6, and 7 on here because this provides a good example of participating in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. You know, in the in verses 6 and 7, you will remember that Paul, Paul, of course, uh, with his co-workers, they, they were preaching the gospel. And uh, in verse 6, it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And it says when they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. Yet the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I like to emphasize this term, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Well, Paul, as we know, eventually uh, he had a vision uh, during the night of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. So Paul shared this with the other brothers. And, of course, Macedonia was in Europe. At that time, Paul and his co-workers were in Asia. So they concluded from that call, that call from Macedonia, come over and help us, that this was the Lord's leading for them to go to Macedonia. Now, I would like to point out that the spirit of Jesus in their spirit was the one who led them to Philippi, which was a prominent city in Macedonia. Now, what does the spirit of Jesus refer to? It refers to the spirit of a man with abundant strength for suffering. We don't have the strength for suffering, but the spirit of Jesus in us has abundant strength for suffering. Now, why did the spirit of Jesus, why was the spirit of Jesus operating in them to go to Philippi? Well, we know when they got to Philippi, um, they, they eventually went through a lot of suffering. They were brought to the magistrate by these opposers. They were beaten. They were thrown into the, into the prison, uh, Actually, it was it was uh, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. They were put in stocks, which means you're you know in a wooden device where your head is is through this wooden stock. Your your hands are through this wooden stock. Your feet are through this wooden stock. It, it's a very obviously a very uncomfortable position to say the least. It is an instrument of torture. Now, if I were Silas, I might have said, Paul, I think that what you shared with us about that Macedonian man saying, come over and help us, that that, that was the wrong thing. That was the wrong thing. But it was not, the, Silas did not say this. It was not the wrong thing. We should not have the concept that if the Lord sends us somewhere, there's going to be a red carpet laid out for us and a brass band waiting for us. You know, here comes the servants of the Lord. 
No. Uh, we have to anticipate entering into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. So what did Paul and Silas do? Uh, you know, when you look at verse 25 of Acts 16 and onward, it says this, that around midnight, midnight is the darkest hour. It says that while praying, Paul and Silas sang hymns of praise to God. Isn't that wonderful, saint? In the darkest hour, while they were in that dark prison, in that instrument of torture, they were praying. And while they were praying, they were singing hymns of praise to God. And listen to what the following sentence says. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. It doesn't say, and the prisoners heard them. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Listening means that they heard the words of those songs. Listening means that they even may have enjoyed Paul and Silas's singing. They probably wondered, why are these men singing? I mean, they just got thrown into prison like us. They're praying. They're singing hymns of praise uh, to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Well, eventually, we know there was a great earthquake. The prison doors opened up. The jailer was so concerned. He said, he said to himself, all of these prisoners are going to escape. And of course, at the time of the seizures, if something like that happened and you were in charge of the prisoners and they escaped, you would be put to death. You would probably be even tortured and put to death. So the jailer was about to commit suicide and Paul stopped him. He said, do yourself no harm. We are all here. We are all here. Now listen to what the jailer said. He, he knelt down. He looked up upon Silas and he said, what must I do to be saved? The saints, I want you to consider this. How did that jailer know even to ask such a question? What must I do to be saved? Where did he get that from? He must have gotten it from Paul and Silas's prayer and singing. Now, we have a song in our hymnal that says, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. Men and women all need him. Of course, they couldn't sing that song. It wasn't written yet. But maybe they were singing a song about getting saved. Maybe their hymns talked about receiving the Lord as their life and Savior. So this uh, jailer, he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe into the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your whole household will be saved. Well, he brought them up from that prison into his house, which signified that where he lived was above the prison. He brought them into his house, and they baptized him. They baptized him. Uh, They were the first baptized, I emphasize the word, baptized 
converts in the church in Philippi. Lydia, we can say Lydia, was the first convert, but the jailer and his family were the first baptized converts. Now, I want you to realize they were baptized in their home. So don't think being baptized in in the home is not scriptural. As long as there's water somewhere, you can baptize a person. Of course, we know the baptistry at the meeting hall is a is a is a great place to baptize people. But just like in the book of Acts, when Philip was preaching the gospel to that Ethiopian eunuch, eventually they came to a body of water and the eunuch looked out of his chariot. He told Philip, Look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And so they got out of the chariot. Philip baptized him, and then, you know, the story went on from there. So this is one. Now, two says, we must be beaten together with others into one entity, blended together through the cross and by the Spirit to shine forth the light of God for his corporate testimony. Saints, uh, Every time we meet together, especially, I would say, in the eldership, uh, if we're in a service group, if we're meeting together with a group of sisters or a group of brothers, we need to have a prayer before we even meet with these saints. Lord, have mercy on me. I pray that everything I am and everything I speak would go through the cross and that all that I am and speak would be by the Spirit. And that all that I am and all that I speak would be the dispensing of Christ into the ones with whom I serve, and this would be for the building up of the body of Christ. Saints, this is not just a term. It's not just a slogan. It's a living reality that we need to pray over and have as a part of our being. Okay, now, C says, the lampstand being without measurement signifies that the divinity of Christ and the light he shines are immeasurable. You know, in John 3.34, the Lord Jesus said this concerning himself. He says, he whom God has sent speaks the words of God For he gives the spirit not by measure. So whenever the Lord Jesus spoke, God the Father was giving people the immeasurable spirit. We need to pray that Lord Jesus make us the duplication of Christ as the spirit so that he has the way to speak through us and dispense himself into people and into the saints as the immeasurable spirit. So this is a wonderful verse, again, for us to pray back to the Lord. Now D says, the lamb stands base for stability and its shaft for strength, signifying that the Lord Jesus was always stable and strong. He was stable and strong. Now, just a brief example of this in Matthew 8, 24, we remember uh, just before these verses, 
the Lord told the disciples, let's get into a boat and let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, a great storm rose up and the disciples were scared to death. But the Lord was sleeping in the back of the boat. Can you imagine? And so they went back to the back of the boat and they woke up. They they shook him. They said, Lord, we're perishing. And, and the Lord Jesus said, uh, oh, you, something like this. Oh, you of little faith. You know why he said they were of little faith? Because he already spoke his word to them that they would get to the other side, which showed that they didn't fully believe his word. Well, we know he spoke to the wind, to the storm, and to the waves to be still, and everything became calm. And so that was that situation. But if you go to Matthew 26, when the Lord was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, we remember he was praying an agonizing prayer. He asked the Father three times, Father, if it's possible uh, for you, can this cup be removed from me? The cup was the cross. And then in his humanity, the Lord realized, he realized this cup is the cross. I have to go to the cross. This is the Father's perfect will for me. Well, here the Lord is agonizing. When he came back to the disciples, what were they doing? They were sound asleep. He came back to them three times. They were sound asleep all three times. So I want to show you the contrast. In the boat, they are so worried and he's asleep. In Gethsemane, he's so burdened and they're asleep. This shows that we're exactly the opposite of the Lord in our natural man. All right, now let's go to E. E says the lampstands having cups shaped like almond blossoms with calyxes and blossom buds signifies that the triune God is a living golden tree growing, budding, and blossoming in resurrection. Now, saints, all these are, of course, I have this, this small uh, version of the lampstand. You can look at your diagram. Of course, I'll, I'll use the diagram. You can see on this diagram that all of these are uh, all of these are almond blossoms on the lampstand. All of these items, they are almond blossoms. These almond blossoms have calyxes. What are calyxes? Calyxes refer to the outer green leafy part of the of the flower at the base of the flower that holds the flower that is for the stability of the flower and of course you have the uh, the blossom buds uh, coming out from this uh, from these calyxes now so if you look at this what is this who is the trained God? He is a living golden tree. And the fact that these branches, there's a, a typological significance here of growing, of budding, 
and a blossoming in resurrection. We say resurrection because the scriptures clearly say that these are almond blossoms. And we know from Numbers chapter 17 that Aaron's budding rod in number 17, that budding rod signifies resurrection. I don't have time to get into the whole story. You can read the notes from number 17, 8. Almonds signify resurrection. And so uh, the train God is a living golden tree growing, budding, and blossoming in resurrection as his reproduction. We need to pray, oh, Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray that as the embodiment of the trained God and as the Lord Spirit, you know, the term Lord Spirit is used in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as the Lord Spirit, I pray that as a living golden tree, you would grow in me, you would bud in me, and you would blossom out of me in resurrection. Now, one says the cups shaped like almond blossoms signify the resurrection life blossoming. I just shared that. Now, A says the blossoming of resurrection life is the shining light, the expression of the life of God, the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the light. Now, saints, again, when we look at this picture, it's, it's an almond tree, which signifies it's a living golden tree in resurrection. Now, what is the fruit? What, is, what depicts the fruit of this tree? It's the flame coming out of these branches. That's the fruit. And what is that fruit? According to Ephesians 5, 9, Listen to this. It's the fruit of the light. This is light, right? This is, this, this is how the lampstand gives light. It's by the flame coming out of these seven lamps. That's the fruit of the light in Ephesians 5. Nine. But when you come to Galatians 5.22, that fruit of the light is referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. So this is why we say the blossoming of resurrection life is the shining light and the expression of the life of God. And that is the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the light. Now, Ephesians 5, 9 says the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Saints, if you look at the footnote on this, this is quite remarkable. It points out that goodness signifies God the Father for for the only one who is good is God. Only God is good. Righteousness denotes God the Son for Christ came to accomplish God's purpose according to God's righteous procedure. Truth or reality signifies God the Spirit. The let the let first John five, uh, the end of first John five, I believe it's verse six, it says that the spirit is the reality, or the spirit is the truth. 
So truth denotes God the spirit, for he is the spirit of reality, the spirit of truth. Now, this also denotes, again, the expression, the expression here of these seven lamps is is the fruit of the light. It's also the fruit of the spirit. To me, saints, this is wonderful. This lampstand signifies the triune God, and the light coming out of it signifies the triune God. Goodness, the Father. Righteousness, the Son. Truth, the Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? To me, that is, that is a marvelous revelation. Now, after A, we have B. If we would shine forth the light of life, we must be in resurrection, not in our natural life. Saints, we have to pray, Lord, make me a person in resurrection. I pray that when I live, I would live in resurrection. And when I serve, I would serve in resurrection. You know, the Lord is in resurrection right now. According to Song of Songs chapter 2, if you look at verse 8 and 9, you remember that the seeker, she is behind, uh, she says she's behind a wall and she's looking through the windows and she's looking through the lattice of those windows. That means there's bars on that, on that, on that, uh, on those windows, but she can thank the Lord. She can still see through the bars and she looks through the bars. And she explains, she exclaims, the voice of my beloved, exclamation point. Saints, every day, I hope we can exclaim, the voice of my beloved. I've heard the voice of my beloved. Then it goes on. He's leaping upon the mountains. He's skipping upon the hills. What does this mean? Our Christ is the mountain-leaping and hill-skipping Christ. That means he leaps over all barriers. He skips over all obstacles because he is the power of resurrection. So what he was doing with the seeker was he was calling her, come out of yourself. You know, she was in a state of introspection where she was looking inward at herself. Saints, never look inward at yourself. Now, what does this mean practically? Let's say you give a testimony and you planned on sharing point one, point two, and point three. But when you got up to speak, you forgot everything. You shared point three first, then you shared point four, a point you didn't even have, and then you shared point, another point that you didn't have, and then you sat down and you just got so condemned. You said, oh, Lord. You might have said, oh, Lord, I never want to speak again. Well, don't say that. That that comes from the enemy. And, okay, let's say on the, on the other hand, let's say you give a marvelous testimony. Let's say everyone in the, in the, uh, in the meeting, they all say amen in a loud, resounding way. You know, when you're a brand new one, it doesn't matter what you say. All the saints will say amen. 
in a loud and resounding way because you're a newborn babe. You know, when when my children were babies, when my boys were babies, we always wanted to get them to speak. I remember I would say to them, I wanted them to say, Dada, Dada. You know what they would say when I say Dada? I say, Dada, Dada. They say, Mama, Mama. They said Mama before they said Dada. So they loved their mother very much. Of course, eventually they said Dada. But uh, my my point is this. uh, We may think that, okay, if I gave a testimony that was, uh, you know, if a baby just says goo-goo, you will say, oh, wonderful. Gaga, wonderful. But if I, if I, in my testimony, if I say, goo goo gaga, you, you'll start praying for me. You'll say, what is wrong with Brother Ed? Uh, he needs to grow more in life. He's been in the recovery all these years. Uh, well, saints, sometimes we use, maybe one time you give a testimony where Everyone says a resounding amen. And what you do from that point on is you use that wonderful testimony as a standard for all your other testimonies. So if you give your next testimony, if it doesn't match that testimony, you get condemned because you feel that all your other testimony should come up to that standard. What is that? That is introspection. That means you are in the self, in the self. Saint, the Lord is calling us even right now to come out of ourself and to be one with him as the mountain leaping and hill skipping Christ. Eventually by his being one with him as the power of resurrection, we are brought into him in verse 14 of chapter 2. It says this, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the covert of the precipice, precipice, eventually we get transported by by the resurrected Christ into him as the crucified Christ, and we become his dove. That means we get so saturated with the spirit that we become his dove. We all have to have this experience. Now read C. Have to go a little quicker here. C says, Christ as the resurrection life is growing, branching, budding, and blossoming in us, by us, and with us to shine forth the light. D says, I'm sorry, D says, how much light there can be in the church depends on the extent to which Christ has a way to grow in us and through us. Saints, uh, Abraham, Brother Abraham asked me if I had a hymn for this meeting, and I didn't have a hymn at first. I didn't know. Uh, I said, Lord, what, what hymn matches this, uh, this particular outline? And uh, what came to me is hymn 395. And saints, my prayer is that you would make hymn 395 your prayer. Your prayer. You know, Brother Lee really treasured this hymn very, very much. And of course, it begins, Lord Jesus Christ, 
grow thou in me, and all things else recede. My heart be daily near thee, from sin be daily free. Each day let thy supporting might my weakness still embrace. My darkness vanish in thy light, thy life my death efface. I, I believe that's uh, uh, stanza one with the chorus. Saints, we need to pray that to the Lord. I would say in a daily way, Lord, grow in me today. The great thing. Now let's come to F. F says the pure gold tongs and fire pans for trimming the charred wicks signify the dealing with the old and charred natural life by the divine nature so that the shining of the resurrection life may be bright and pure. Now we'll see a little later that one of the priest's major functions was to trim the wicks of the lampstands when they got charred. You know, when those wicks got charred, smoke, this smoke came out instead of the pure light. You have the pure light, you need oil, and you need a wick that's pure and that's not charred. We'll see this later. Now, Jesus, the lampstand with all its utensils was one talent of pure gold, approximately 100 pounds, signifying that Christ as the divine lampstand shining in the divine light, shining the divine light in resurrection is perfectly and completely weighty, weighty. You will remember that when Paul was talking to Timothy and Titus, he used this word gravity. He said, when you're, when you speak to the saints, when you're among the saints, uh, speak and do things in all gravity. Well, gravity is a quality. It means you're a weighty person. It means you have a quality that invites honor, respect, and regard from others. Now, that doesn't mean that we get honor, respect, and regard from others in our natural life. It means that the triune God embodied in Christ and realized as the Spirit He is the unique, weighty one in this universe. The more we get filled with him, the more we allow him to unite with our being, mingle with our being, incorporate with us, the more weighty we become and the more gravity we possess. Okay, now H says, the seven lamps of the lampstand are the seven spirits as the seven eyes of Jehovah. This is Zechariah 4.10. The seven eyes of the redeeming lamb. This is Revelation 5.6. And the seven eyes of the building stone. This is Zechariah 3.9. For the full expression of the triune God. Saints, this, this is remarkable. The seven eyes of Jehovah equals the seven eyes of the redeeming lamb, equals the seven eyes of the building stone. Now, let's come to uh, number one under this. Now, number one is in the book, the short book called The Church, the Reprint of the Spirit. Church, the Reprint of the Spirit. 
I edited that particular book, and I, I personally read that particular book to Brother Lee, where he shares this. You know, sometimes I would read something to Brother Lee uh, that he shared in the past. He would say, that's marvelous that I share that. I say, yeah, Brother Lee, it is marvelous, and you did share it. I mean, and, and uh, this is just a wonderful, wonderful point. Now, this point one, Brother Lee had a meeting at the very end of the life study of Hebrews where he shared an additional message. And this came out, this saying came out, no spirit, no church. More spirit, more church. That's the reality. Saints, look at this lampstand. Look at this lampstand. Here you have one lamp, right? This is a large lamp. Then you have three lamps here. Three lamps here. If you take all these lamps away, there's nothing left. Not only that, these lamps are filled with golden oil by the priest. So the content, the inner content of this lampstand is the golden spirit. The outward realization and expression of this lampstand is the sevenfold intensified spirit of God. So without the spirit, there's no lampstand. So that's why this says no spirit, no church, more spirit, more church. That's why Zechariah 4, 6, the Lord told Zechariah, first he showed Zechariah the lampstand with two olive trees on the sides of the lampstand. And Zechariah asked, asked the Lord, uh, well, I'm sorry, uh, I said that the wrong way. The Lord asked Zechariah, do you know what, what these are? Do you know what these are? And Zechariah said, no, my Lord, I do not know what they are. And so here's what the Lord said. Here was the Lord's answer, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. That's what that lampstand means. That's what those two olive trees or olive branches on the sides of me. Now, now, we'll share a little more about this. You know, in the Knesset, which is the Israeli cabinet in Jerusalem, they have a huge platform where people speak. Uh, and behind, behind that platform is a huge model of, a, of the lampstand. A huge, huge lampstand with depicted also true olive trees on the side of that lampstand. Now, that is the national emblem of the state of Israel. I just pray that one day, you know, if, if, we, if we get some true Israelis regenerated, we need to look to the Lord that at a certain period of time and our care for them, we can share for them the true significance of this. What is the true significance? All right, let's come to two. The seven eyes of the Lamb infuse us with Christ as the judicial redeemer. 
And the seven, you know, the eyes, the eyes, it's by the eyes that someone infuses you with what he is. If if I, I can't see all of you right now, I can only see the interpreter. What's the interpreter's name in Spanish? Uh, I can't see his name, but he looks very happy. He has a smile on his face. Even, even I would say his eyes are smiling. You, you can tell by a person's eyes, uh, you know, their feelings, maybe even their thoughts. You know, especially a husband and a wife. If I'm sitting across a table from my wife and some other brothers and sisters are with us, if I say something and my wife looks at me like this, I know she's not happy, right? I would say, uh-oh, did I say it? But if she looks at me like this, you see, then I know she's happy. She infused her feeling into me. Okay, now, the seven eyes of the stone infuse us with Christ as the organic Savior for God's economical move on earth through his redemption and by his organic salvation for the goal of his building. Three says the Lord's seven eyes are as a flame of fire for watching, observing, searching, and judging by enlightening and infusing. Four says, within us we have two lamps. What are these two lamps? The first lamp is the sevenfold intensified spirit of God. That That's this. The sevenfold lamp, the sevenfold intensified spirit of God, this, this sevenfold lamp is in our spirit. And Proverbs 20, 27 says the spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah or the lamp of the Lord. So our spirit is full of lamps, full of light. We, that's why we need to get into our spirit every day. Now, A says, in order for us to be transformed, we must be fully open to the Lord in prayer to allow the lamp of the Lord, lamps of fire, to search all the chambers of our soul, shining on and enlightening our inward parts to supply them with life. B says, the one who experiences the greatest transformation is the one who is fully open to the Lord. Saints, I want to encourage you. I did this this morning, and I have to do this every morning. I said, Lord Jesus, I'd like to open to you right now my whole being. I want to open to you without any reservation and without any limitation. Sometimes we open to the Lord but there's a certain part of our being that we don't want to let him into, or there's a certain part of our living that we don't want to let him into. And we should not do that. Saints. We should open up everything to him so that he could shine into us. Now three says the more we experience uh, the detailed aspects of the triune God depicted in the lampstand, uh, the more we will see production of the lampstand, which will pave the way for the Lord's coming back to possess the whole earth. All right, now we come to the last point. Uh, I apologize, I didn't, I didn't pace myself through this outline. 
I will mainly have to read through these points. I encourage you to get into them in depth later, but I'll read them. I hope in the reading you'll get something. It says the organic maintenance of the golden lampstand is Christ's heavenly ministry to cherish the churches in his humanity and nourish the churches in his divinity to produce the overcomers through his organic shepherding. I think this is very interesting. If you look at Psalm 22, 23, and 24, they form a unit. In Psalm 22, what we see is Christ's death, his resurrection, and the many brothers produced in his resurrection. Now, let's skip over to uh, Psalm 24. Psalm 24 reveals Christ as the coming king in his kingdom. Now, Psalm 22 has already been accomplished. His death, his resurrection, his many brothers produced in his resurrection to form the church. Psalm 24 is in the future for his coming back as the king in his kingdom. What is the bridge that links his past accomplishment with his future coming? It is Psalm 23, and Psalm 23 is on Christ shepherding. Psalm 23 is on Christ as a shepherd in his resurrection. So we need to be one with this shepherding Christ to bring him back. Now, A says, Christ as the son of man is in his humanity. The golden girdle signifies his divinity and the breasts are a sign of love. One says Christ was girded at the loins. Uh, This is in Daniel 10. He was girded at the loins, strengthened for the divine work to produce the churches. But now, this is in Revelation, he's girded about at the breast, caring for the churches, which he produced by his love. So the breast signified love. And so he is caring for the churches in his love. So too says, the golden girdle signifies Christ's divinity. Listen to this. As his divine energy sings. You may not feel you have energy, but there is divine energy in your spirit. And, uh, you know, when you put on a belt, you gird yourself up. That's for your energy. Well, the golden girdle signifies Christ's divinity as his divine energy. The breast signifies that this golden energy is exercised and motivated by and with his love to nourish the churches. B says Christ takes care of the churches in his humanity as the son of man to cherish them. One says he dresses the lamps of the lampstands to make them proper, cherishing us that we may be happy, pleasant, and comfortable. Now, as the as the great high priest, how does he dress the lamps of the lampstands The first thing is he trims the wicks. He trims away everything. That's the the burnt, charred portion of the wick. He trims that burned, charred portion away so that we can shine brightly. That burned, charred 
portion is everything that does not match Christ. It can signify religion, worldliness, evil things, lukewarmness. All that needs to be trimmed away. When we allow Christ to trim that away, we are cherished by him. What does it mean, saints, to be cherished? To be cherished, simply speaking, for the Lord to cherish us is to for him to make us happy. Don't you want to be, and again, one says, he dresses the lamb to the lampstands to make us proper, cherishing us so that we may be happy, pleasant, and comfortable. I would like to check with you. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything. But I would like to ask you, are you happy right now? Now, let me quote a sentence from the ministry in, in the life study of Genesis. Listen to this sentence. God wants to make you happy. How about that? Don't you want God to do what he wants? God wants to make you happy. That's why he put you in a good man, a garden named Eden. Eden means pleasure, meaning God wants to be man's pleasure. God wants to be man's happiness. Now, how can we be made happy as members of the body of Christ? The only way I can make you, all of you, dear saints, happy is to bring the presence of Christ with me. It's by ministering the presence of the trained God into the saints. That presence of God is what makes us happy. The presence of God makes us feel pleasant. The presence of God makes us feel comfortable. And we can see this in the Gospels, you know, with uh, all the tax collectors and sinners. They were coming to the Lord, showing how approachable the Lord was. But, of course, the opposing Pharisees and scribes, they weren't like that. They didn't come to the Lord. Let me come to A under one. A says the Lord's presence provides an atmosphere of tenderness and warmth to cherish our being, giving us rest, comfort, healing, cleansing, and encouraging. Saints, the Lord's presence means everything to us in our life and in our work. B says we can enjoy the cherishing atmosphere of the Lord's presence in the church, to receive the nourishing supply of life. I I just hope and I pray and I believe that you all have experienced the Lord's presence in this meeting to receive his nourishing supply, not only that, to cherish you. And two says, he trims the wicks of the lamps of the lampstand, cutting off all the negative things that frustrate our shining. And he says the charred part of the wick, the snuff, signifies things that are not according to God's purpose and need to be cut off. Uh, They need to be cut off, such as our flesh, our natural man, ourself, and our own creation. He trims away all the differences among the churches, the wrongdoings, shortages, failures, and defects, so that they may be the same in essence. In essence, that's the golden nature. In appearance, that's the form. And in expression, 
That's the spirit, the sevenfold intensified spirit. So saints, what is the Lord doing? It means he's, he's trimming us. He's trimming us. You know, we can also, we can almost, we wouldn't do this, but you can display in front of the meeting place, come in for a trim. Come in for a trim. You know, it sounds like a barber. But all of us need to be trimmed. Trimmed of what? Trimmed away of all the charred parts of our being that don't match the Lord. Now, see, said, Christ takes care of the churches in his divinity with his divine love, signified by the golden girdle on his breast to nourish the churches. One says he nourishes us with himself as the all-inclusive Christ in his full ministry of three stages so that we may grow and mature in the divine life to be his overcomers to accomplish his eternal economy. Saints, don't take the lie that you cannot be an overcomer. Always realize, according to Revelation 3 and the epistle to the church in Laodicea, the Lord says to the Laodiceans, he, he, he charges them to over, be, to overcome their lukewarmness. And he says this, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I like these words, as I also overcame. This indicates that Christ is the unique overcomer. And this capital O overcomer is in our spirit. So in a certain sense, and I would say, you know, according to the ministry, the printed ministry, it says, strictly speaking, no one can be a Christian. No one can be an overcomer. Only Christ, as the sevenfold intensified spirit in our spirit, can be a Christian and can be an overcomer. That's why we need to contact him in our spirit, when, why we need to walk by the spirit, and why we need to give him the free way to live through us and out of us as the Spirit. He says, as the walking Christ, he gets to know the condition of each church. And as the speaking Spirit, he trims and fills the lampstands with fresh oil, the the supply of the Spirit. Now, saints, those two olive trees on the sides of the lampstand in Zechariah 4, they're called the two sons of oil. Some translations say the two sons of fresh oil. And in our translation, it says they empty the gold out from themselves. You would think it would say the golden oil, but it literally means gold. Of course, that refers to golden oil. That means every day we need to be filled with the triune God as gold so that we can empty the gold out from us into the dear brothers and sisters for them to shine in a brighter and brighter way as the golden lampstand for the testimony of Jesus in this universe. Okay, the last point says to participate in his move and enjoy his care We must be in the churches. Now, forgive me. I took too much time. I hope that Abraham 
and the brothers would forgive me. And uh, Brother Benjamin, please forgive me for going overtime. But Saints, I want you to don't put this on your bookshelf. Pray over it. The intrinsic significance of the golden lampstand shows us the highest peak of the divine revelation. The subjective experience of the golden lampstand shows us the God-man living. And the organic maintenance of the golden lampstand shows us Christ's wonderful shepherding according to God that we need to allow him to dispense himself in and to live himself through us so that we become shepherds according to God to maintain the, the churches at the golden lampstands in, the, in their pure brightness for the shining forth of the triune God and ultimately for a new revival that will turn this age and change this age to the age of a kingdom for a thousand years, which will be our wedding day. And that will usher in eternity future where all of us together with God's children will be the wife of Christ forever and ever. Okay, I'll stop here. I hope that you appreciate uh, this fellowship and this tremendous revelation. Okay, I'll stop here, Benjamin.